Uh, well, just, I want to start this morning with Second Corinthians. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this one a little bit different. Uh, this is the way I usually study uh, these letters uh, myself. Um, we'll we'll go through and study several things, and as we do, we're pretty much going to study the entire letter. Uh, because of some of the things we can learn from this particular letter. Uh, instead of just going verse by verse, we'll probably come back and do that. But uh, we can do it quickly then. But uh, this way we can uh, look at the various subjects that are involved and maybe come to a better understanding uh, of several things that we wouldn't normally think about. Uh, Today is, well, for a couple of weeks, it'll be an introduction. Today, um, we're going to talk about the, uh, the character of Paul. Uh, Paul the Apostle is one of the most popular characters in the New Testament, as you know, second only to our Lord, I would suppose. Uh, second Corinthians reveals more about Paul than any New Testament letter. He wrote 13, maybe 14, I think 14, but uh, that's just my opinion. Uh, he wrote all those letters, but in 2 Corinthians, you learn more about the man, Paul, uh, than all the rest of them put together. Uh, there's a lot of information about the character of Paul. And I, I want to look at him because uh, he's a worthwhile character to study. 2 Corinthians uh, reveals Paul as a clay pot, an earthen vessel. Um, this was pretty much the uh, consensus of most uh, religious people, Jewish religious people at the time. Uh, they, I, people today, I think they think of us uh, just as this is it, okay? This is me. The, the, the entire package is me. <clears throat> in the first century, they didn't think about themselves that way. Uh, they thought about themselves um, as body and spirit. Today, may not think about it that much, but uh, in the New Testament, the body and spirit, two entities, uh, are, are very pronounced. Uh, and I think it's important that we understand this about ourselves, uh, not as an afterthought, but as a fact, just the way it is. In uh, chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul's speaking about the gospel, the knowledge that God had given him. Given him. Uh, he said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Earthen vessel. He's talking about his body. We have this power in our body in the spirit within the body okay uh, he he understood that the body was one thing the spirit was another uh, and the body though the body is something we must mind uh, when it comes down to character who we are what we are uh, that's determined by uh, our spirit who we are in spirit. Uh, the body is just uh, a place for us to occupy while we're in the world. We're spirits, and we live in this vessel, uh, this earthen vessel. 
made of clay. Uh, several times in the Bible we read about uh, the clay and the spirit uh, separation. In Job chapter 10 and verse 9, remember, I pray, that you have made me like clay. And will you turn me into dust again? Uh, Job understood that he was body and spirit. This isn't something new. It's something very, very old. Uh, he was a spirit living in a body. And he understood the difference. He understood that the body was going to pass and that he would go on and continue living. Uh, life doesn't stop when the body dies. Uh, the spirit can never die. It will always live. We will always live. Uh, we can't die. We're immortal. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and 4, Paul said, Each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. We should know how to possess our own body. The spirit's supposed to be in control of the body. And we're supposed to rein the body in and make it, uh, make it submit to our will. Uh, and this is, uh, well, one of the main purposes of our being here was to learn to uh, control our vessel, our bodies, and not let the body be in control of us. Most people are controlled by the body and not the spirit. What the eye sees, the eye gets. That's why John speaks about the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Uh, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye in particular is what the flesh wants, the natural inclinations of the flesh, uh, like an animal does. There's no difference than an animal. It has the same desires, the same wants. But uh, the dog, for example, doesn't have a spirit to force the body into submission, whereas you and I do. The body wants to do stuff it's not supposed to do. And we're supposed to, as Nancy Reagan once said, just say no. That's not a silly thing at all. This is what we're supposed to do, is just say no. When somebody wants to cheat on their spouse for extramarital excitement, that person is supposed to just say no. I'm not going to do that. Then the body can be in submission to the spirit, the person. I hate to keep having to make that distinction, but the body isn't a person. <laughs> the body is just a vessel. The spirit's the person. And the body uh, must be brought into subjection of the person. And it can be done if we understand that we are body and spirit and that we have to learn to train our bodies to be obedient to the divine will, which we've already submitted to. The body doesn't submit to the divine will. The body's always going to be the body. It's always going to have wants and all that stuff. There's always going to be temptations to the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh. They'll always be there. There's always going to be a desire to do something that you're not supposed to do. 
but it's up to us to rein it in, to bring it into submission. Uh, we need to know how to possess our, our vessel, our body. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, uh, Paul speaks, uh, Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, you, don't, you don't give honor to the wife because she's inferior. You don't give honor to the wife because she's not as intelligent as you are. She doesn't come short of the husband in any way, shape, or form except for the fact that she lives in a weaker vessel, an earthen vessel. Her body, her frame, isn't as strong as the male. Generally speaking, there's always one or two somewhere that look like Hunk Hogan. But um, as a general rule, uh, the male body is much stronger than the female body. We see all these complaints uh, these swimmers are uh, lodging now because they're having to compete against men in swimming competitions. It's not fair. They shouldn't have to do that. Their bodies are not as strong as those men, and there's no way they're going to be able to compete with them. Now, once in a while, you're going to pop up with a very good female, strong female swimmer, and perhaps a very weak male swimmer, and she may be able to beat him. But when you're talking about competitions like at the collegiate level or above, uh, in all probability, the girls are going to take a second place to the boys, the biological boys. Uh, and it's just, it's just not right. The difference, uh, therefore, as Peter points out here, is that her frame is weaker. It's not as strong. Uh, her bones are not as, uh, as large. Her muscles, it's, uh, it's according to the design that God gave us. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 1, Paul said, We know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In this one verse, he refers to the body in four different ways. He says our earthly house, that's our body. Uh, this tent, tabernacle, that's our body. This building that God has given us, that's our body. This house that wasn't made with hands. <clears throat> The body uh, is, is, a, is an object that we live in. If we understand that, and if we believe that, our focus isn't going to be on how pretty our body is. Our focus is going to be on how holy our soul is. Why would a person, why would a believer, I'm going to put this down to the believing and not believing. Why would a believer invest more time in their body than they would in their soul, given that the body is simply a temporary dwelling place and the soul is immortal? 
it'll never cease to be. Why would a person do that unless they don't believe it? If you don't believe it, you're, you're, you know, you may put more emphasis on your body. That may be your focal point. You know, people spend uh, hours a day exercising to be fit and how much time a day exercising to be godly. You see, I think, I think a lot of our failure is due to the fact that we haven't truly accepted uh, who we are and what we are that we are spirits living in a body. Attention, and this is where you'll notice throughout the Bible, and especially in Paul's writings, you'll notice that the emphasis is always placed on the spirit, and the body is simply a vessel that is used temporarily and is going to be replaced in the resurrection when a new body is raised, uh, an immortal body at that particular time. Uh, number two, uh, it reveals to us that Paul possessed human weakness and inadequacy. Now, this is, this is such an important lesson. We can't use it as a crutch, but we need to understand it so we can live with ourselves. We're not perfect. We may want to be we may strive to be, but we're not, and we never shall be. Paul admitted his own inadequacies. He admitted his own shortcomings. Well, he didn't like it any better than we do, but that's just a cold, hard fact of life. Now, why is that important? Because most people think you have to be good enough to go live with God in the eternity. And that's, that's doomed to fail right from the beginning. I, I remember when I used to think the same thing. You got to be good enough. And I tried to be good enough. And I never could be good enough. No matter how hard I tried, I always messed up. I committed a sin or whatever I did, and I realized how far from being godly I, I actually was. But here's Paul, uh, perhaps one of the greatest characters in the Church of Christ, and he's admitting his own shortcomings. No matter how hard he struggled, all we got to do is read uh, chapter 7 and see, see the struggles of Paul and uh, understand that perfection is a goal we strive for and it's, it's a goal we'll never attain until after we get out of this body. When we get out of this body, then we'll be perfect. Then we'll be sinless then there'll no longer be any temptations. But as long as we live in this body, we're going to always come up short. So many times we study with people wanting them to obey the gospel. And more times than not, what you hear is, I'm just not good enough. 
I don't think I can live it. And the truth of the matter is anybody can live it if they want to. Yeah, but I, I think I'll probably sin. I can guarantee you you'll sin. That's, that's what we call growing. We're growing spiritually. It's all part of it. But we have to be realistic about who we are and not expect something from ourselves that we can't possibly deliver. It's, a, it's sad. I spent, a, I spent a, a long, a big part of my life uh, I don't know exactly, but I, I think it, it, my salvation was like a 50-50 proposition. Maybe, maybe not. Depends on what day the Lord came back. Depends on what he caught me doing at any particular time. If he came back and I was shooting my mouth off because I was mad, maybe he wouldn't accept me. Uh, I didn't understand a lot. I wished I had a life would have been a whole lot easier if I had a. But when we look into the mind of Paul and see his character and see he didn't use his shortcomings as a crutch, but he he, he realized it as a reality, a reality he couldn't possibly uh, correct on his own in chapter 3 and verse 5 he said not that we are sufficient of ourselves not that not that we are capable by ourselves of accomplishing this that or the other thing we are a, a very limited people uh, we're, we're limited in the in the area of intelligence we're limited in the area of endurance. We're limited in every way you can possibly imagine. No, no, we're not sufficient of ourselves. It's not as though we can do great things. It's not that we can accomplish great things. Uh, we're not sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. Our sufficiency, our completion, our success, well, that comes from God. Well, we're told that we have to be perfect. This is true. We are to obey and do so successfully the perfect law of liberty. But we don't. Well, then how can we claim to be successful? It's because our sufficiency, what we need, what it takes to fill us up and to make us perfect is the Lord Jesus Christ. What I lack, he makes up for. If I'm, just as a, an example, if I'm 20% on the godly scale and I'm, I'm living life the best I know how, I'm 20% on the godly scale, the Lord supplies me my other 80%. He makes me sufficient, complete, perfect. He makes me readily acceptable unto God. He's my sufficiency. I know I'm limited. You know you're limited. We all know we're limited. That's okay because Christ fills us up and that's how, that's how life goes. 
in chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, when Paul wanted uh, God to take away the thorn in his flesh, the Lord responded, uh, basically, no, he didn't do it. So the answer was no. Uh, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you. I would venture that Paul, knowing the kind of man he was, Paul thought, if, if, if this thorn wasn't in my flesh, I could get so much more done for the kingdom of God. If I didn't have this thorn in the flesh to contend with, I, I could travel more. I could stay up later at night. I wouldn't have to rest so much through the day. I can't imagine a preacher who wouldn't think that way. Uh, I thought that way about me. If my back wasn't shot, I thought about how much more I could do. So a lot of yens remember back when I was 35, 40 years old, I was full of energy, and I was, uh, I was busy all the time. But look at me now. Now I've got to take a nap during the day. Uh, now I've got to sit down after I stand up for five minutes. Uh, there's so many things that aren't right physically. And I think to myself, boy, if I didn't have all these problems, <clears throat> there's so much more I could do, like I used to do. And God, please make me whole again. And God says, my grace is sufficient. That's all you need, John, my grace. And Paul, <clears throat> this was the place he found himself. Uh, we all, we all want to be better so we can do better. But sometimes we, we have to live with our infirmities and rely on divine grace. My grace is sufficient. <clears throat> My strength, divine strength, is made perfect in you, Paul, my strength is perfected in you, Paul, you with the thorn in the flesh. My strength makes you all-powerful in your weakness. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Oh, yeah, it does. The weaker you are, the more you depend on God. The more you realize your handicap, the more you depend on divine intercession to help you accomplish the things that need to be accomplished. And that, of course, comes down to the salvation of people, in particular the church. God is wise enough, strong enough, to take a person like Paul who had a thorn in his flesh and make his name become a household word around the world 2,000 years after he, he lived. That's what divine strength can do. But this divine strength is perfected, reaches its zenith in our weaknesses. How many haven't wondered why people suffer? Everybody does. And especially, why do good people suffer? 
I, boy, I battled that one like you, like all of us, all my life just about. Why do good people suffer? Why do little bitty children get cancer? So many things just don't seem right. And the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect through your weakness. I don't understand how it works. I know that it works because the Lord said so. Paul had to learn that lesson. He didn't understand it. That's why he kept asking God to make him whole, remove that thorn. Three times he asked. He, I mean, he was persistent. He wanted that thing gone. It wasn't doing any good. It was doing a lot of harm. Please get this out of me. And the Lord left him that way. And unbeknownst to Paul, he would become Paul, the great apostle to the Gentiles by the power of the Almighty. Paul said, understanding that, now that I believe that, that God's strength is made perfect in weakness, now that I know that that's true, I'm not going to ask God to remove a thorn from my flesh any longer. Therefore, since God's strength is made perfect in my thorn in the flesh, I'll gladly boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If the power of God or the strength of God is realized through the infirmity, Paul said, I long for the infirmity that I can be strong. Therefore, now I take pleasure in my infirmities. I ain't got there yet. I know there's an advantage to it, but in all honesty, I can't say I take pleasure in it. Paul could. Maybe I will one day. I don't know. I, I believe it. Don't misunderstand that. I just have a hard time rejoicing sometimes. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Why in the world would you do that, Paul? You're a crazy, crazy man. Why would you feel that way? Because when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. It's a bitter pill to swallow, but it's, it's true. When we may feel at our very worst, the Lord can raise us up to our very best. I don't know how he does it. We can study the life of Paul and we can watch how Paul lived throughout his ministry, how God led him to Caesar in Rome. He was an old account unknown Jew and yet he stood before Caesar. He preached to thousands of people. A man that the world despised. And yet, most of the world today admires. God made him strong when he was weak. 
Third thing is uh, Paul was reluctant to defend himself when he was attacked. Now, this is hard to do, too. Uh, a long time ago, uh, you know, preachers, they always, uh, something said about preachers all the time. And uh, used to, when I would hear uh, of a rumor or something about me, uh, I, uh, I would try to squash it. I would try to defend myself. Uh, and w what I learned uh, through practice doing it, what I learned was the more time I spent trying to squash the rumor, the more the rumor spread. Instead of anything getting better, things got worse. Because a lot of people, maybe a majority of people, they like bad stuff. They like bad stuff. They want to hear that a preacher is uh, fooling around with women. They like that. They don't like to think about a preacher as being a godly person, but rather they want to hear some smut about that goody two-shoes who feels like he's entitled to tell everybody else what to do. And the more you try to squash something, the worse it gets, not better. Uh, in, in time, I finally uh, learned through experience and, of course, through divine inspiration that uh, the best thing to do is ignore it. Can't do anything about it except make it worse. So why not just go on with your business? Well, what did that teach me? In spite of all the rumors uh, throughout the decades, uh, the people that mean the most to me, you, uh, didn't pay any attention to it. I don't know how many times someone said, I, I don't believe it. And uh, so here I am, I got the world sometimes even Christians. You know, we got the church here at Center Grove. Uh, there's a rumor spreading around, something being told, and the world wants to believe it, and the church is unwilling to accept it. Well, life's good. What have I got to complain about? As long as you all are satisfied with me, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. And I know I can't do anything about it because it only gets worse. Paul understood that, and he doesn't try to defend himself. You know, the Lord was the same way. He didn't try to defend himself. Now, don't misunderstand me. He came to the defense of the temple of God. He came to the defense of his apostles whenever they were assaulted by others. He was quick to take charge of a situation and shut down the, the naysayers. But when it came to himself, he, he didn't do that. He let it go. Paul didn't do that either. In chapter 11, verses 16 through 18, he says, I say again, 
Let no one think me a fool, if otherwise at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast just a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord. This isn't what the Lord had me say. But as it were, I'm going to speak foolishly. I'm going to do something I never do. In this confidence of boasting, I'm going to speak. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. He didn't want to boast. He didn't believe in boasting. But given this particular circumstance, false apostles at Corinth who claimed that Paul was not a real apostle. He doesn't really boast in the way that we think of boasting. But he laid out his credentials as to who he was. And in essence is challenging the false apostles. Let's see your credentials because they had none to offer. But it took a lot to get him to do that. He wouldn't do it otherwise, but on this occasion he did do it. It wasn't boasting or bragging like we think about boasting or bragging. It was simply making a defense of who he was. And he did that, not for himself, he did that for the sake of the church of Corinth because they needed to know that he was indeed an apostle and they hadn't been duped by uh, someone pretending to be an apostle. Okay, uh, 2 Corinthians reveals about Paul, his concern for the saints. He was more concerned about others than he was himself. His life was about one thing, serving the Lord Jesus Christ and doing whatever he could do to lead other people to Christ. That was the purpose. That's what he lived for, and that's what he was all about. And as you read the letter, you'll see that come out about him. Uh, his interest was uh, singular, to do whatever he could do to help the people be all they could be. One of the things you'll notice is that he had a, a, a feverish desire for the saints to grow spiritually. In chapter 7 and verse 1, he'll go on to say, Therefore, having these promises from God, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let us focus on perfecting holiness. Focus on becoming more like God. Time and time again, the, Paul, the apostle repeated himself. Same message, different package, but constantly trying to persuade them to grow spiritually because he believed that was in their best interest. He was concerned about their spiritual safety. In chapter 11 and verse 2, he said, I am jealous for you. Not as we usually think about jealous. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy because of God's interest in you and your interest in God. Why? I have betrothed you to one husband. I have uh, given you to one husband, that would be Christ, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul went to Corinth 
And everything he did, he did to help the people there, the believers, to help them be married to Christ, to become the wife of Christ, to behave like a wife ought to behave, to be faithful, to be diligent, to be in love, to look out for, all these things uh, Paul had done for the saints at Corinth. Why? Because, for, because if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or if you receive a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. That was, that was his fear. These people, and we'll get more into this later as we look into Paul's heart. These people broke Paul's heart. I mean, they broke his heart. After all he had done, after all he had meant to them, as much as he had loved them, when the false apostles came in among them and started saying things about him, those who should have defended him didn't. They started, well, maybe they're right. Maybe there's more to Paul than we thought there was. And Paul knew this was going on. He had received a message when he was in Macedonia that these things were happening. When Titus came back from Corinth, apparently Titus is the one that informed him of this problem that was brewing at Corinth with the false apostles. And it absolutely broke this man's heart. And he said, I'm, I'm afraid that you may put up, may well put up with these false apostles and their false teachings. And of course, if they did, they were gonna lose their soul. And that's what troubled him so much. He was concerned about their spiritual safety. And then also he was, of course, concerned about their salvation. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. We have made ourselves your servants. We live to serve you. This is our life's work, to serve you. Why? Because he wanted them to be saved and he couldn't bear the thought of their not being saved. He was uh, a great preacher and a great teacher. He was a good man, Paul was. Now, he was not like many who were guilty of peddling the word of God. That's what a lot of preachers do. They're not sincere or honest. They're they're making a living or making money. Uh, they peddle the word of God. Uh, they sell it for money, a service. I'll give you my service 
and you give me dollars, okay? But as from sincerity, Paul was, as from God, he spoke in Christ in the sight of God, chapter 2, verse 17. He would not think of walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, saying something that the Lord said this when in reality the Lord hadn't said that at all or the Lord meant this and the Lord didn't mean that at all. Paul would never do that. He might do it out of ignorance but he would never do it purposefully simply so he could get money out of these people which some people were doing at that time. Oh, this one's going to take too long. I think that's going to be the bell, isn't it? I better stop right here. This is going to take too long here. Uh, next week, no, I won't be. Uh, I forgot his name. Eric. Eric will be with us next Sunday, uh, and he'll be teaching a Bible class. So two weeks from today, God willing, we'll, uh, we'll start right here.